Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, it's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 14th of October. If you missed hour one, I encourage you to go back and listen. Uh, it'll be reposted as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com on the Mornings with Carmen page. I want to uh, do a little hashtag pray the news this morning. So here you go. Um, imagine, imagine that your weekly grocery bill now exceeds what you make in a month. Because that would be hyperinflation. <clears throat> Now imagine that your weekly grocery bill exceeds what you make in two months. Imagine that you cannot withdraw money from the bank. So even though you have money in the bank, you can't get it out. Imagine that the pharmacy cannot cannot fill your prescriptions, not just for a day or two or a week or two, but for more than a month. Imagine waiting hours to partially fill up your gas tank. Imagine rolling blackouts and unpredictable access to electricity in your home. And we're not talking about a third world country. We're talking about the lived reality in Lebanon. So we have brought the humanitarian catastrophe uh, into view uh, here on the show. We've brought it into focus on several occasions with various guests. Today, it's featured in The New York Times. And what is described there is a nation in the word used is meltdown. People have watched an entire way of life disappear in just a 20-year span of time. In the 1990s, Lebanon was the economic and cultural success story of the Middle East. And today, the World Bank describes it as the worst financial crisis in centuries. And Lebanon is just one place in the world where those things that I described are true. Venezuela, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, Somalia, Mozambique, Nigeria, South Sudan, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Honduras, Haiti, the U.S. border with Mexico, It feels as if the entire world is on fire, and it is hard to see how God has it all in his hands. But that does not mean that we lose heart, nor that we turn away and and become insular people. Um, The world is the Lord's, and we are the ambassadors of his kingdom in the midst of this generation right now. So let us be people who hashtag pray the news, trusting God, presenting the needs of others before him, asking for his intervention, seeking miracles. Yes, let us be people of prayer. Let us also be people who care. Let us extend tangible love. Let us share um, in tangible ways that people would know the love of God by the way we love them, self-sacrificially. 
and let us share the gospel. It is the only hope. All right. Now, Peter Kapsner is waiting. We're going to talk about some sports headlines. But before we do, because he is a um, a guy that has some uh, toys, like, you know, four by four toys, I think he will want to know that John Deere is not running this morning. 10,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union went on strike against John Deere today. All right. That's going on. Peter Kapsner up next. Shout out here as we bring Peter Kapsner on. Uh, Peter, um, not one more Caps nerd, but there is one more member of the Carmen Nation this morning because listener Ellie uh, got to work this morning and then she texted in, hey, I was listening. I'm on my way in and shared the conversation you were having with Ben Johnson. And then we got back from getting coffee and my coworker said, let's listen to Carmen. So the Carmen Nation grows. It dun, does. Dun, dun. It does. I think I by know. most recent count, you have your, your lead over the Caps nerds is up to now fifty one thousand two hundred and sixty four. So it's it's a substantially, but I can close the gap, Carmen. I'm going to start trending uh, later today. You just wait. Oh yeah, you wouldn't even know it if you did. Okay. So Dr. Peter Kapsner is here. He and I like to talk across a range of headlines, um, and I save up things for Peter that uh, no none of my other guests would be proficient at talking about. And so today that would be sports. Mm. Indeed. So today we have some sports headlines. What do we need to know about New Orleans Saints' Austin Carr? Yeah, he is a wide receiver, or at least now a former wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints. He stepped away from football at the age of 27, and he said the reason for his stepping away is that he is following the voice of Jesus in his life. And I love that he referenced Jesus in this moment, just really believing that his shepherd is leading him. Now, he made right around $2 million in his NFL career, which is about $2 million more than I ever made in my NFL career. So he did, he did make some money in the NFL, but that comparatively is quite a pittance in terms of what NFL players project themselves to make. They realize they're probably setting themselves up for some measure of physical disability into their 50s, 60s, 70s. So they try to cash in for as long as they can, maybe change the generational wealth picture of their family. So they're willing to stick with it. But he stepped away. And, and I'll tell you what, Carmen, I would just uh, recommend Googling the story. And there's there's two or three or four trusted news sites that, that talk about in depth why he said he's stepping away. And it's beautiful. His shout out to his family, his mm. belief in Jesus, his, his trust that God really is guiding him, even though his next steps appear to be unknown. And I was just sitting with a number of students last night at the University of Northwestern St. Paul in an informal gathering of some of the residence halls they wanted to meet, talk, and just sort of have a, a Q&A. And one of the topics that came up was how important it is to be able to cultivate the, life, uh, the, the voice of Jesus in our lives, to be able to listen to that. Because if our faith becomes only theological or biblical principle-based, and, and you know me well enough to know that I love to talk about those things, I, I care deeply about saying and believing things that are true, 
that are consistent with the kingdom, uh, to understand what the Bible is teaching so that we can live within its ways. But that can become also, too, if we're not careful, a bit of a hollowed out faith because there are a lot of things that face us in our journey that we can't necessarily have a one-to-one relationship with the scriptures about. There is there is no passage in scripture that Austin Carr could refer to to say, I know my time at the New Orleans Saints is done. So how does he know? Well, there there's a whole part of our faith that is relational where God is actually real and God is actually accessible. And one of my students asked the question, they said, so how do you raise children in such a way that they can hear the voice of their shepherd in a reliable way? Not a goofy way, not, a, not an off-the-beaten-trail way, but truly you, you can learn to live within the resonance of God's voice. And it was a fascinating conversation, and I think Austin represents that in some ways. Now, maybe something's not going to work out for him, and this is all, all fraudulent, but, but it sure seems authentic as he's talking about it. And I think the last piece we could say about it is I was on with Bill Arnold last night in the, in the afternoon show with uh, David Clark was our Old Testament guest, and he was talking about the life of Joseph. And Joseph is somebody who suffered substantially as he was walking out his journey, and yet God was with him the whole way. And what David uh, made the point of saying is he said, you know, sometimes we're within God's will, we're within God's plan, but that plan is going to involve some suffering on behalf of other people. So I don't know what Austin's next parts of his steps are going to be, or, or any of our next steps are going to be, obviously. And sometimes those steps are going to be hard. But the point is, is that part of the, the, the puzzle of a vibrant faith is that we move beyond theological ideas and, and biblical principles, though those have to underpin all that we're doing, and really learn to cultivate the voice of the shepherd for the journey of our lives. Yeah, if you're looking for it, the original um, conversation is chronicled in sportsspectrum.com, Austin Carr Retirement NFL, Trusting Jesus Christ. Um, It's also covered by Christian Headlines. So, um, Peter, thank you. Um, Thank you for that. Um, In your Old Testament series with Bill Arnold, I know who your guest is going to be on December the 8th. And uh, you better start studying up on Hilkiah. Are you, are you telling me that Carmination Carmination is going it's to? It, oh, yeah, you're, you're coming long, to the afternoon. I can't wait. I know that's a long way out, but <laughs> oh, I happen to know that's on my calendar. It is so circled in red now that's, on my calendar. And yeah, who who are you bringing to the table? Um, Hilkiah. This is going to be really exciting. There are mm-hmm. so many Old Testament characters mm-hmm. with whom I am wildly unfamiliar. It's it, mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big Bible, Carmen. There's a lot it's there, a pretty, and and there's a Bible. lot of stories that I need to brush up on for sure. <laughs> hey, we're gonna um we're gonna talk about maybe the biggest headline in the NFL this week, which is about D- John Gruden. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> listening uh, right now. No, no. The name you're looking for is Austin Carr. Austin Carr. Was he saying Austin Powers, I'm guessing, at this point? He said, I tuned in. I just tuned in. Did you say Austin Powers? Yeah, sure. No, no. (laughs) I did not. Peter might have said that because Peter is like that, but I did not say that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, John Gruden. This is a terrible story. It is a terrible story. I mean, this is a terrible story with many, many layers. Um, tell people who have no idea what's going on, who John Gruden is and what happened this week. Yeah, the NFL National Football League launched an investigation into the Washington football team because there were a number of fairly scandalous allegations about what was happening in that organization over the last 10 years or so, specifically the treatment of women. But there is also a lot of other ugly power plays, potentially some financial 
uh, misdealings, just a number of things. So in that, in their investigation, they, of course, would go ahead and look back through all of the email records, all of the phone records, everything that would be part of the investigation. And one of one of the secondary fallout parts of this is that John Gruden is one of the most successful NFL coaches of all time. He's only won one Super Bowl, but he's greatly revered around the league. He spent time uh, for 10 years as an analyst, a really well-regarded analyst for Monday Night Football. And then he recently came back to the NFL. I believe it was three years ago. He signed a 10-year, $100 million contract mm-hmm. to coach the then Oakland Raiders and the, the now Las Vegas Raiders. They just recently moved. And they were beginning to experience quite a bit of success under his leadership. Well, the point of that is that as they were investigating the Washington football team, part of what they found were emails from him over the last 10 years back and forth with members of the Washington football organization. And they're pretty ugly, Carmen. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of cancellation culture in, in the way that it most often presents itself. But there's a difference between cancellation culture and somebody who is revealed behind the scenes to be very different than what they are in their public front or their public face. And and this was pretty ugly stuff. So he, within about an hour, it, it, for the first email that came out was a, was a, a racial trope uh, related to some leader within the NFL. And he apologized for that. There was a lot of conversation about whether he lost his locker room in that in terms of his locker room, give him credibility because of this racist trope. But it looked like he might survive that until a couple of days later. Uh, emails came out that were misogynistic. They were in- incredibly hateful uh, towards people in the LGBTQ community. There was a number of other things that that he j- it was just ugly, right? And so within about an hour, he then resigned, and it was it was a pretty big headline. And I think the point of that is that, is I'm mindful of what Dallas Willard talks about when you're living within the control or the enslavement to sin. He talks often about uh, when in that place. You might have something that we can control in the public, but boy, if you can start observing uh, or avoiding observation, at that point, the real you comes out. And I guess Gruden must have thought he was going to be able to avoid observation in these private emails, but we see the real him. And, and I think it's an invitation for us as believers who do, of course, continue to struggle with sin in our lives. We're, we're in these frail, corruptible bodies, even as we've said yes to following Jesus and, and, and to learn how to increasingly engage with God's redemptive resources in our lives that increasingly then free us from the power of sin and death that's going on so we can be the, the people when we're not being observed, that we are when we are being observed. And it's one of my favorite things about our friendship is when we when we talk off the air, you you are who you are. Who you are on air is is exactly who you are off the air. And in a, in a time where we're understandably skeptical about so many of our public figures and that they're trying to persuade and message and, and how they psychologically manipulate because of power and control to be with people that are the real people behind the scenes that they are also in their public relationships, there's a tremendous invitation for us as believers to increasingly become those kind of people because then our witness will shine very brightly in the midst of sort of these fraudulent times in which we live. Yeah, everything done in the dark comes to light. That was what, um, you know, that that was the note that struck me when I heard about this. Um, I also, Peter, this is one of those stories where I, you know, I'm concerned about the individual that's at the center of it, but man, does my heart break and do I have deep concern for his wife and his yeah. three sons? I um, mean, he's got one son who, you know, is a football guy, has his name. I mean, John, I mean, John Jr. and works for the, works for the Raiders. Like I, there's, hmm. there's a, there's just going to be, you know, layers of challenge 
related to this. Um, it's it's awful. It's inappropriate. It's heartbreaking. It's uh, illustrative of of what happens when good people don't say no. Stop mm. it. I'm not reading emails like that. You can't talk about people like that. We're going to get you some help. Like the very first person that got the very first email um, that was derogatory about another human being, or uh, you know, or cast someone in a in a racial light. Like that's when the Christian in the email string needs to stand up and say, "No, this right. is not who we are. This is not how we talk about people." We're going to stop right now. We're going to change this culture right now by changing this conversation. Um, so um, one more one more story because I want to. Um, I know that you have you know you've been a pastor. You have a pastor's heart. You are um, like not just a bivocational guy. I don't know. You're like a tri or quad vocational guy. You have lots of jobs. You wear lots of hats. So I thought you would appreciate um, this this conversation about. Um, bivocational ministry. Talk with us about what's going on with pastors across the country and the need to have another job. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the some of the sociological phenomenon that is at play in these last 10 years. And by that, I mean within the world of the church, we see a pretty heavy concentration of believers starting to attend larger and larger and larger churches that then have their spinoffs and their campuses and, and the streaming services. And then you also see the trends of secularization, meaning that there are fewer people in general attending the church. And the combination of those things has left a lot of suburban and for sure rural churches and also some urban churches as well without the, the means financially to support a pastoral staff. And so there is this increasing trend, and I think it's a very encouraging one, of pastors that will have another career. They might be a lawyer or a teacher or a, um, maybe a, a physician, they could, anything, really, business person, it doesn't matter. And they are spending part of their time where their financial needs are being taken care of by their other vocations so that they can primarily then be a shepherd in the church. And I have regularly taught classes like Intro to Christian Ministries, and Carmen, this is the first conversation that I have with these 18, 19, 20-year-olds that want to be involved in ministry is I encourage them to think about being bivocational for a number of reasons. One, then you don't have to worry about whether your church is growing numerically in such a way that you'll have enough what are called giving units, which is such an unfortunate term for the beautiful image-bearing people of God that we sometimes reduce them down to giving units because we need a staff and a budget and, and all of the, the Mickey Mouse that goes along with that. Uh, you can avoid all of that if your income stream is coming from somewhere else, and you can simply then be part of the community in a way where you're listening communally to God's voice, and you're bringing your gifts to the table as a shepherd then to help just equip the saints for ministry. You don't have to deal with the stress that so many pastors unfortunately have to deal with, which is, can I put food on the table for my family at this point? The church is in decline. This is my income stream. I've given up my life for this. And now we're maybe down to 40 or 50 or 60 members. And what should I do? And should we have new programs? And should we market new things? And should we get a website? And all of the businessy kind of questions that consume so much shepherding time for pastors, understandably, if you can move in a bivocational kind of way, all of that's off the table. And you simply get to just walk out life together as a community with uh, hopefully three or four or five or six bivocational pastors who are gifted to then equip the saints to shine God's light in the world. It's a really encouraging trend. I am, um, uh, we're, we're planting, our church is uh, actively engaged with a church planting uh, network. And 
I, I don't know if we're planting the church. I don't think that's the language I'm supposed to be using. But we are helping um, a group of people and a pastor plant a church in another part of our city. And uh, and we had that uh, meeting last night just to talk about that process and to bless them as they, you know, go out from our congregation and plant a church in another neighborhood. And um, and the question was asked, right, of the of the guy who's going to be the pastor, like, are you leaving your job? And he's like, well, I mean, once we get to the place where, um, you know, this would be supportive of of a pastor, then then yes. And of course, everybody's like acknowledging, um, dude, you just sort of announced to your employer that, you know, (laughs) 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 right. Uh, But he's um, yeah. So it's it's an interesting time to be having conversations about planting churches, about the church growth in the country, about the vibrancy of young people who want to get out there and start new churches. And Mm. it's thrilling. Um, And they need, you know, they need supportive networks of um, of people to help them do that. But they're also willing to work two or three jobs to make it happen. I love that. And I love that. Yeah. And I just love that. So um, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. If you have not done so already, I want you to go to MyFaithRadio.com. I want you to testify to the goodness uh, of your pastor. And uh, we would like to uh, send a pastor and their spouse to the Billy Graham uh, Cove, to the Cove. That's the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in North Carolina on a pastor's retreat, right? Just an opportunity for them to get away and be refreshed and to be blessed. So go sign up your pastor at MyFaithRadio.com. Peter Kapsner, as always, what a blessing. Thanks, man. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, we'll be right back. So are there times that um, you feel unseen? You're standing in the midst of a group of people. Um, You have things in common with them. Maybe it's the people with whom you work. Maybe it's the people with whom you worship. And yet your concerns, you don't feel seen. We're going to talk with Lathan Kraft next. Um, Lathan has a number of things that we could be talking with him about. He is uh, a podcaster. The Other Side of the Church is his uh, very well-respected podcast. He's the founder of Made for Purpose. He's a, a, a coach, but he's also an author. And in the book, The Leper in the Church, Stories of the Unseen, he talks about mental illness. Um, and he talks about resolution and redemption. And I thought it would be a worthy place for us to roam around today. So up next, Lathan Craft. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 12 read, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. This is Max Lucado. How do God's people live in a godless society? Do they blend in and assimilate? No, this is the time to stand out and assist. We were made for this moment. This is no time to play around. You were made for more than social media and flashy parties. You were made to serve the Almighty God and be a temple of His Holy Spirit. Society offers nothing. Hollywood can't satisfy your needs. Madison Avenue makes big promises but leaves people naked of hope. Godless living is no life to live. 
Lathan Kraft is the host of the Other Side of the Church podcast, founder of Made for Purpose, founder of Afterwords, author of The Leper in the Church, Stories from the Unseen. Lathan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, so good to be here. All right. It's fun to have you here today. And I want to, um, I just want to acknowledge in advance that, you know, like each of us is like an onion and... um, Mm. And there's lots of layers, and there's lots of things that you and I could talk about today. Um, I would appreciate it if you would start by exploring with us um, the reality that there's so much more to the other person standing right there than what we see. Such a good starting question. Uh, Yeah, I think that the church, capital C, um, has stopped at knowing people. Um, and I think that's what we think is the most intimate way to a person is just knowing them or knowing about them or knowing their story, but we're missing a whole part of people and we don't see them and we don't see them in their mess and we don't see them in a situation. So I think that, um, I'm of the belief that being seen is deeper than being known. And I think you can ask somebody like Hagar who named it well in the old Testament, the God who sees me, Elroy, um, because she was, re- she realized she was seen in her mess. And yeah, in her mess, in her distress, um, surely she was suffering with anxiety. She certainly had, um, you know, challenges in terms of isolation. Um, Maybe share with us a little bit of your own story and what you know about uh, loss and grief and the challenge of depression and the church as um, either a helpful or not helpful part of finding your way out of that. Yeah. So I was a pastor who struggled with depression. Um, and I have a lot of friends who have actually died by suicide, um, as pastors who struggled with depression. And I remember one Sunday morning as a teaching pastor, I came up to the congregation. I basically was as transparent and vulnerable as I could be. Um, and said, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Like this isn't a good, like easy sermon for me to do. I'm struggling with depression. And I was met with, man, what a powerful testimony. What a powerful message. What a powerful illustration. And, and it's the, it's the whole idea of we, we think that people aren't as, aren't as suffering as they are, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like, let me give you an example on the other side of the church podcast for season one, I interviewed a pastor who attempted suicide, um, and he was a worship pastor at a church. In the whole episode, he talked about the fact that the goodness of God stopped him from committing suicide. Um, the day the other side of the church podcast epi- launched, like the whole season one launched, he took his own life. Mm. Um, and we we pulled that episode back uh, because we, we were going to launch with him, but we decided not to. But I think there's a reality there as well that we... When we air that episode, the goodness of God may be questioned, but the goodness of God is he's still good, even if Steve is no longer with us. Um, And Steve was obviously unseen. He was known. He wrote a book about being in a psych ward. Everybody knew of his struggle, but nobody saw him in his struggle enough to stop him from doing what he ended up doing. Seen but not known. Um, That that is uh, that comes up a lot for you. Talk with us a little bit about uh, people who are around us right now um, who, you know, we we could we could they would be in the list of people. Right. They would. Yeah. yeah, These are the people that are around. But 
we don't really know one another. And then maybe, you know, equip us um, in terms of how do I get to know a person that I've been already around for a while? Like, how do I back up in a relationship and say, you know, I, I, we've been in the ha- inhabiting the same space uh, for a fairly long period of time, and I'd really like to get to know you. How do we do hmm. that? Like, that's an art. Yeah. Um, I think we start by reading the Gospels. I think we start by hmm. looking, at how, looking at how Jesus interacted with people, especially with people in pain. Um, he didn't, didn't talk a lot. Um, he sat a lot. Um, he listened a lot. And he didn't try to explain or justify away what they may be experiencing. Um, I think of Lazarus. Like he knew, he knew the end result with Lazarus. He knew that he would end up raising him from the dead, but still he grieved. Um, and just the art of seeing Mary and Martha who were close in blood with Lazarus. Um, and he, Jesus himself close in relation with Lazarus, um, just seeing them in their stuff, seeing them in the total depravity of the reality in their eyes that their brother was dead, um, and sitting with them in that enough to the point of grieving, um, and not trying to give them empty platitudes, of um, maybe this is this isn't as bad or man he's in a great place or so many things where we can try to in our flesh justify away what's actually happening with people instead Jesus spent all of his time most of his time in ministry on the outskirts of the town which were the people who were unseen were uh, the lepers the prostitutes all those people um, and he sat with them and he just he let listen to them their story from their perspective and didn't try to write their story from his perspective and that's a huge difference between knowing somebody and seeing somebody is letting them speak on their own behalf and not trying to speak for them on your behalf Lathan, that's so good um let's take a very brief break when we come back we're going to continue our conversation with Lathan craft we're just you know what today we're just getting to know each other that's up next mm-hmm. on mornings with Carmen you got me singing like We're talking with author and podcaster and ministry leader, Lathan Kraft. Uh, One of his books is The Leper in the Church, Stories from the Unseen. Um, I highly recommend to you the Other Side of the Church podcast. Um, Lathan, in in the spirit of getting to know each other, um, talk with us about the power of asking what-if questions. You seem to be good Mm. at that. Yeah, I think that you started off this whole interview talking about peeling back the onions, uh, onion layers on each other. And I think by asking what if questions, you're you're getting to the core of the human. Um, you're getting to the core of who people are. Um, and instead of there's, we talked about Hagar briefly when we, but there I read the Bible through the what if lens because there's so many characters, people in the Bible, who only get one sentence. And pastors like to justify their whole life based on the one sentence. And mm. so like the story of Hagar, like Hagar was literally put in a situation that she really couldn't escape from. She was a, she was a servant. She was uh, asked, if not forced, to sleep with Abram. Um, and then when that worked, when she conceived, she was kicked out of the house and, and she ran into the wilderness and she got to the well. And so what what if Hagar wasn't a terrible person? What if Hagar wasn't actually a prostitute? What if... And and so people we that we actually think we know, and we think that based on their sin, we know their whole narrative. What if they actually are the the issue is deeper, 
And at their core, they're just a, a human being desiring to be seen, loved, known, and belong. So um, I, you brought to mind there uh, a woman in ministry whose name I won't share, because if I were, everybody would judge her um, by the story that she chose to tell about herself. Um, but, you know, she's now living years beyond Christ's transforming power in her life, and she is living mm. a new life. But she still only gets asked to speak at churches about the sin prior to her conversion. I mean, that's what she gets invitations to talk about. And, you know, we're 20 years on now, and she's yeah. she's living a different life. She is a new creation, um, and she is living—she's a beautiful living, living demonstration of the gospel. But, you know, yeah. nobody wants to talk about that. Like, right? I mean, everyone wants to talk about the the, the stinky part of the onion, whatever that is. So, um, you know, I just think that there's something here about allowing people to become in Christ who he calls us to be and Mm. not keeping each other sort of trapped by trapped in the sin that, you know, from which he has redeemed us and hopefully from which we have moved, you know, moved on or beyond. Um, So, um, so let's talk about um, ministry and how the other side of the church, how inviting people to talk, because that's really what you're doing. I want you yeah. to tell us what's happening on the Other Side of the Church podcast and um, and the motivation behind asking people to come on and talk about those kinds of things in public. Yeah. Uh, well, this week is, uh, and this is, this is a timely example this week we talked, uh, part, part two of our story was with a pastor who had an affair. And naturally, because of his uh, sin, he was forced to resign from his church. But he talks about the way the church treated him um, based on his affair. There was no grace. There was no mercy. There was no compassion. There was no reaching out. There was nothing like that. It was simply, what the episode is called the exiled pastor because it's exactly how he felt. He felt like he was removed from everything, all of community. And I wanted to give him the space because as, as I try to exist to tell stories of people who have either been hurt by or who have hurt the church, uh, because they're the, the common illustration and where I really, the heart honestly, Carmen behind this podcast was in Luke 15, a well-known story, the parable of the lost sheep. There's a flock of a hundred, one leaves. If you talk to a shepherd and you ask why a shepherd would leave its flock, especially one the only logical reason why a sheep would leave its flock is if it's hurt. And the only reason it would leave the flock if, if it's hurt is because it wouldn't want to wound the rest of the flock. It, would, it sees itself as lesser, and therefore it takes itself out of the flock so as to not make the whole entire flock pray. And a lot of time we read that translation and we blame the one sheep for leaving. Like, why, why would that sheep leave the flock? That's so dumb. Why, why would that happen? And we like to blame sheep without a shepherd a lot. Um, and for the unbelief, for the unbelieving, for the hurt, for whatever it may be, I just wanted to create a space to say, hey, what if your story actually mattered here? Like as a pastor preaching and all those things, like I'm talking to a very specific target audience and I'm even even saying, oh yeah, bring your people. But the people that are actually need Jesus aren't going to come to church because they've realized that there's a, there's a do not enter sign for them. There's something that that's caused in their story, which you talked about a second ago with the woman in ministry, their pain has been prostituted in a way that they they don't actually fully belong. 
And so what if we heard the stories from their perspectives? And what if we actually added hope towards it, not in a way to say the church is an awful place, because I believe through Jesus, the church has a lot of hope, especially the American church. What if we added hope to it and said, change is possible because Jesus is still on the throne? I think there's an issue of proximity. I think you're absolutely 100% right. Um, But I I think that there is... um, so who is close enough to the person who is living in addiction or supporting themselves through prostitution or um uh or, or cheating on their taxes like right who is close enough who is in proximity to that person and close enough to them to care enough and then be invitational like, I think that there are so many layers of reasons why hurt people and hurting people are not in the church where they yeah. belong. I mean, there's a yeah. re- there's there's this proximity. We've our churches are, you know, frankly, so clean, like, right. Mm. I mean, like, literally, like so clean yeah. that dirty people wouldn't be comfortable in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just I just imagine how uncomfortable a person who has been living on the street sleeping on the street, subject to the elements, not with access to um, a bathroom. I'm, I'm just imagining how uncomfortable that person would be in the sanctuary where I worship every Sunday. Hmm. And, and, and I am at a church that absolutely has an evangelistic heart and a heart for the broken and the lost. But we are not—our church is not— in proximity to the reality of that person. So can you help me with that? Yes, I love that. Um, I am starting a venture um, in a couple of weeks that I haven't launched yet, but it's the idea of what if we looked at church through the eyes of a stripper? Like, Mm. what if we took the American church construct that we've made Sunday mornings that we are evangelistic in our approach, that we say all these things, like you belong here, come home, like whatever. But what if... We looked at our church services through the eyes of a lady that got off the pole on Saturday night and just was looking for some sort of hope for Sunday morning and walked into the church. What if we viewed how we do ministry through that lens? Because that's exactly who Jesus hung out with. And so the idea of one of my favorite old song lyrics is my Jesus would never be accepted in my church because the blood and dirt on his feet would stain the carpet. Like this idea that this Jesus that we proclaim to follow um, is actually too dirty to even belong in our, our constructive church. And that's that's where we've gone wrong, is if we say come as you are, we can't mean come as we are. If we mm-hmm. say you belong here, we can't mean we belong here. Like it, we, we have operated in, and have made church a country club when Christ designed church to be a community center. Like everybody can come here. Everybody can belong. Uh, but we have we have made it, and it's so obvious to the to the people in our city. Like I live in a city right now that is notoriously called the Bible Belt, but a hundred thousand people don't have a seat in church here. But we still call ourselves the Bible Belt because we have so many churches here. But if we looked at what's actually happening, we're just getting the same type of replicated sheep. We're not actually reaching out to the people that need Jesus the most. 
Yeah, it's definitely a church planting conversation. Um, It is a church multiplication conversation. Um, There are going to need to be new churches in new parts of our communities because there are people who are not going to come into um, existing churches, you know, frankly, because we've contaminated them with our cleanliness. I mean, I just, it's just the truth. So, um, Lathan, um, what a joy to talk with you. What a joy to begin to get to know you. Um, Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, and thank you for living in, you know, in proximity to the people uh, about whom God is very, very concerned. So thanks for what you're doing. You guys check out what Lathan is up to. The podcast is The Other Side of the Church. We'll be right back. All right. Are you listening in Hartford? And do you want to hang out on Saturday afternoon, October the 23rd? I'm going to be in your neighborhood. If you're available, Text the word MEET, M-E-E-T, to 877-933-2484. You guys have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.